0: Now turn over to the book of Romans. Which chapters? Most of them. So, those of you who are experienced sword drillers, this is your moment to shine. I'm calling this one the centrality of the resurrection. The centrality of the resurrection. What is it to be saved? The Bible says that it is to be rescued from God's wrath for sin. In the book of Romans, God's authorized spokesman, the Apostle Paul, says that the wrath of God is being revealed against sinners. And Paul spends the first three chapters establishing a fearful reality, namely that all men, whether they are religious Jews who, who grew up religious and, and have the law and tradition and ceremony to stand, to stand upon and to look upon, or Gentiles who have none of that, whether you are religious or irreligious, both groups, says Paul, both groups. Have sinned. And he says that all humanity are in this frightful state. All humanity have fallen short of the glory of God. To put it as as, as concisely as I can, all humanity has a sin problem and thus needs to be rescued. Every single one of us is in need of being saved. Romans 3.10 And and, and listen to the qualifiers that Paul supplies. There is none righteous. And in case he didn't make himself clear, no, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Could he be any more emphatic? Truth is that we are sinners. Preaching that, writing books about that will not get you on the New York Times bestsellers. Saying things like that will not get you interviews on Oprah. We are sinners. And our so-called good works cannot save us. Being sinners, the good deeds that we might think could balance the scales and and tip God's favor towards us, those good works, in actuality, do absolutely nothing for us. Isaiah 64, 6. And, and, and this is the prophet talking to religious people. All of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And even the effort to try to somehow make yourself right before God, even that endeavor is a sin. And is in effect to say, I will try to establish my own righteousness. And I'm going to do that without believing what the Scripture says about the brokenness of my soul. Even trying to Earn your way to heaven only multiplies your guilt. Even for, even further. We have a terrible dilemma on our hands. Scripture says that all men are spiritually dead, that they are in bondage, they are in bondage to sin, bondage to the devil, they are under the wrath of God. See Ephesians two one through three. Not now, but write it down. Look later. And I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out verses like that. Uh, again and again. So, write the reference and look later. As a race, and as individuals apart from Christ, we are hopelessly, miserably lost. And because we sin, we reap, we earn for ourselves the wages of sin, which Romans 6.23 says is death. If you've ever wondered why people die why loved ones depart from this life it is because the entire race from the greatest of us to the least of us is under the judgment of God and we cannot save ourselves and if there is to be any hope at all it has to come from outside of us And if I haven't been clear enough we cannot save ourselves you cannot save yourselves. And I say this to every single one of you, you don't have the power within you to do that. But God does. The, go- the glory of God and His gospel is found in Romans 5.6. He says, While we were still helpless, at the right time christ died for the ungodly for one will hardly die for a righteous man though perhaps for the for a good man someone would dare even to die but god demonstrates his own love toward us in this mark this while we were yet sinners christ died for us much more than having been justified by his blood We shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Him being Jesus. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, died for sinners. There was an exchange. The sinless for the sinful. he took their he took our place in judgment he took the penalty of sin that we could that i could never pay for myself and he has given me and he has given every one of you who are in him a righteousness remember i said i just said he was the sinless one he gave you his sinlessness his righteousness that that you could not make up yourself so that two things would be true. So that you and I would, would cease to be, no longer be disqualified before God. And that we would also be fully qualified, fully accepted. There was an exchange that took place. On the cross, God treats the sinner as though he is Jesus. And he treated Jesus... On the cross, to be specific, I, I, I think I just mixed that up in my head. On the cross, he treated Jesus as if he was the sinner so that he could treat you and I as if we were Jesus himself. This is, as Romans 1.15 says, that's the gospel. That is the power of God for salvation for every single person who believes it. That is where the power of God in saving people is to be found, in that blessed exchange. Perhaps by now someone is wondering, I I, I thought you were going to preach on the resurrection. Well, I am. And what I want to show you now is how the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just some really cool event that happened and then passed into the obscurity of New Testament data. I want you to see that some very, very important Christian realities are built upon the resurrection. They hinge upon the resurrection being factual and being true. The resurrection gives you and me assurance in some very important realities concerning our salvation and these are the these are the four points for our consideration today the resurrection affirms the deity of christ the resurrection affirms he is precisely who he said he is the resurrection affirms our justification it proves that sinners really are forgiven of their sins the resurrection affirms our sanctification that there is power for spiritual growth and for walking the Christian walk. And lastly, the resurrection affirms our glorification. That future glory is laid up and is being reserved for us. These, all of these realities, and perhaps more if I had a couple hours to preach... But all of these realities are directly tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If the resurrection didn't happen, if it was just a story, these things fall away. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, our faith is in vain, and you are still in your sins. Let's look first at the fact that the Resurrection affirms and assures us of the deity of Jesus Christ. While he walked the earth, Jesus made claims to be God. I hear, I hear from skeptics and non-believers all the time, well, Jesus never actually said he was God. Yes, he did, actually. And perhaps he did it through his miracles, left, right, up, down, front, and center. But the most clearest place I can think of, one of the one of the most clearest is John 858 where he says before Abraham was I am now at this point Abraham had lived and been dead for some 2,000 years and he's telling the Jews that before Abraham became he being Jesus he already was and and furthermore when he said I am that is the That is the Jewish tetragrammaton. That is the Jewish name for God. And if you want proof of that, you look at how John concludes John chapter 8. They immediately pick up stones to throw him for blaspheming. The fact that he claimed to be God was not missed by the Jews. He certainly claimed to be God, and the resurrection proved Jesus' claim of deity to be true. And Paul even says as much in Romans 1.4. As soon as he mentions Jesus, and he does this a lot, he mentions the name of Jesus, and then he goes off on a tangent. And here's the tangent. Jesus, who was declared the Son of God with power, by what? By the resurrection from the dead. He performed mighty miracles. He taught with unparalleled power and authority. He shocked the crowds by, by saying things and doing things that nobody had ever said or done. But mark this, if Jesus had died and if he had stayed dead, if his bones were still in a grave somewhere today, then everything that Jesus said and everything Jesus did would have been a lie. God doesn't lie. God doesn't say this is going to happen without that thing, whatever it is, happening. Prophecy, pro- prophetic accuracy was, was actually the litmus test, and you can find this in Deuteronomy 18 21 and 22 prophetical accuracy was the way to affirm that a prophet was a legitimate prophet of God. And all it would take for Jesus to have been proven a liar was for him to make a prophetic claim that didn't come true. And some of his more outstanding claims was this, something like, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days, rise again. Mark eight thirty one, or again in uh, Mark eight thirty four, they will uh, or nine thirty four, they will mock him, spit on him, scourge him, kill him, and three days later, he will rise again. Or John two nineteen, destroy this temple, and John even tells us in verse twenty one, he wasn't talking about the actual temple, he's talking about his body. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will rise it up. Raise it up. And In John 10:18, no one has taken my life from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Any man can make incredible claims like that, but I would say not many men can actually follow through with such claims, let alone after they've been crucified by the Romans. And as a side note, I I have also heard some skeptics say, well, Jesus didn't actually die, you understand. He, He fainted or swooned on the cross and then he revived later and then pushed the stone out of the way. Poppycock. The Romans had learned a thing or two about how to execute people. And the Gospels tell us they actually... They even proved he had had died by stabbing his side with a spear. They were actually surprised how quickly he died. But here's the point. The resurrection puts the stamp of authenticity on every single thing Jesus did and on everything he taught by verifying the most difficult claim that anybody but God in the flesh would be able to carry out. resurrection proves the deity of Christ and that's good news because if Jesus is indeed God which he is then he keeps every word that he says and he says this John 6 40 this is the will of my father that everyone who beholds the son and everyone who believes in him will have eternal life and I myself will raise him up on the last day my friends, if if Jesus' claims to raise himself up were proven true, then his claim and his promise to raise you up in the last day is true. Now it gets better. The resurrection not only assures us of the deity of Christ, but it also affirms and assures us of our justification. What does justification mean? Well, justification means... To be declared in the right, to be declared righteous, to be to be declared not guilty. It, it's a legal term, and it means that that no legal argument, no legal charge, no indictment will stick. God has declared a person free and in good standing. In his court. Now let's let's look at this a little further. God God doesn't make this declaration on a whim. Right? He's not not looking through his fingers. He's not overlooking sin. He's not sweeping sin under the carpet. or, Or fudging the numbers. Or looking the other way. He is declaring the sinner just. He is justifying the the unjust because an exchange has taken place as i said earlier christ has taken the sinner's place in judgment and the penalty for that injustice or for that injustice has been paid fully and with satisfaction taking the full weight upon himself paying it all as the song says there is nothing left nothing remains to condemn the christian because jesus paid it all not not a lot of it not most of it he paid it all and nothing remains to condemn Furthermore, Jesus' own perfection has been credited to the Christian. What does that mean? It means something that didn't originate with you, something that originated somewhere else, it was given to you. It was transferred into your account, into your possession, so that at one point it wasn't yours, but it is now. His perfection His being fully pleasing before His Father was accredited to those who were not. The righteousness of Christ, therefore, covers the sinner like a robe. And and what does this have to do with the resurrection? The resurrection establishes the certainty of our justification. The, the visible resurrection establishes the certainty of the invisible justification that has been accru- uh, accredited to us. Right? We, when, we, when, when the sinner was justified, when I was justified, I didn't see that happen it it happened in the mind of god where i can't look into and so i need assurance when when the when when, when when i am told that i am justified i need assurance that something has actually happened the resurrection establishes the certainty of my justification paul says in romans 4:25 that he being christ was delivered over because of our transgressions, and was raised for our justification. He was raised for our justification. Now, to be to be clear, justification was accomplished on the cross. It happened. It, it, it was accomplished before the resurrection. It was accomplished while he was suffering and while he was in agony and while he died. But this is, mark this, the visible raising up of Jesus proves the invisible efficacy, the invisible power of his being delivered over for my transgressions. Does that make sense? We see a similar example of this of a visible thing, of a visible uh, uh, miracle corroborating or affirming an invisible reality. In Mark 2, Jesus heals a paralytic. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. Jesus is teaching and he sees some some, some friends bring their uh, paralytic friend to Jesus and they actually lift the roof in order to bring this paralytic man to Jesus I mean I like to say their faith literally went through the roof this time and, and he says to him son your, your sins are forgiven it, it, Mark tells us seeing their faith he said to him son your sins are forgiven and Mark tells us that the Jewish elites nearby they began to murmur and they say what is this guy saying he is blaspheming Nobody can forgive sins alone but God. And then Jesus, fully aware, aware of what's in their hearts, he, he, he calls them out on the carpet and he says, what's easier, to, to, to merely say to someone like this par- paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? Mark 2.10. So you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's the invisible reality that they can't see. So that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he tells the paralytic, and, and this is the visible miracle that, that affirms the invisible reality he just claimed to have. He said. Uh, he said, pick up your pallet and w- go home. And n- now the ex-paralytic did just that. And Jesus made a claim. He, I have the power to forgive this man, which the naked eye can't, can't tell. Is he, Jesus could pronounce that. Was there anything visible that happened? How would you know? Is he forgiven? Is he not? H- how do we know? Jesus made a claim Of forgiveness, and then he backs up that claim with an incontrovertible and quite visible display of power and authority. In the same way, he made another claim I have come not to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many, as an exchange. And I I would deposit this to you that. That exchange, I think I've explained it twice now already. I would say to you that that exchange when Christ went behind the veil and did his high priestly work for sinners, I would suggest to you that that exchange took place where no naked eye could go and observe. The high priest, when he did his atoning work for the people of israel it was conducted behind a veil where people could not go and watch and and i can't prove this but i i can't help but think it's not a coincidence that matthew and mark and luke all tell us that at the moment that christ was suffering well for the three hours rather that he was suffering for sins That the sun was darkened and there was no light. I can't help but think that as this exchange was taking place, God drew a veil upon Calvary so that no eye could see this incredible exchange that was taking place. Because Jesus visibly rose. Because the tomb was visibly empty, you and I can be sure that God has placed His invisible stamp of approval on the substitutionary work that Jesus did on our behalf on the cross of Calvary. He was raised for our justification. And it gets even better than this. Someone could ask, okay, I'm I'm declared positionally righteous, but what do I do when I look in the mirror and my sin looks back at me? Well, what, do I do, what do I do when my life doesn't match up with what the Bible tells about me? What, do, what, what about my indwelling sin? What about my temptation and the fact that sometimes I feel like a walking contradiction? You turn again to the resurrection, my friend. You turn again to the resurrection because the resurrection assures you of sanctification power. It's our third point. The resurrection assures us that there is power. There is divine, God-given, God-supplied, God-provided power to walk the Christian life and to grow in holiness. After coming to Jesus and sitting at his feet and learning from him. You put more and more of what you learn into practice. And this is an inevitable reality of true salvation. And it is a proof and an evidence that one has been born again, that his life changes. That his life changes from the man he used to be to the new man that is shaped and molded in Jesus' likeness. And, and, And you can see that clearly in uh, Colossians uh, Ephesians 4 you can see that in Colossians 3 Colossians 3:10 3, to be specific and I would say much of the New Testament is, ex- is is dedicated to fleshing out and explaining what this looks like but as far as it relates to today the re- the resurrection of Jesus Christ grants us the power to walk the Christian walk the resurrection gives us power to grow in our holiness. Romans 6, 4. We have been buried with Him through baptism, not baptism into water. We've been buried with Him through baptism into death. So that, here's the purpose statement, here's why we are baptized with Christ through, uh, into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too, so too something might be true of us, that we too might walk in newness of life. You died. You died and you were raised... Spiritually so that you might have a new walk. Ephesians two four actually quite literally says you were you were made alive with Christ. There is an organic, inherent connection between the beginning of your new life and his resurrection your newness of life is tethered as it were it is it stems from his resurrection as christ was raised from the death from the death through glory through the glory of the father so too we might walk in newness of life verse 6 same chapter our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who died is free from sin and then he says in verse 10 to consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus and he can make that appeal he can tell us to do that because that is the rea- that is what is real that is a spiritual truth about every single one who is in christ you died and because you died to your old life the dominating power of sin in that old life it has been broken now there's a caveat with that the dominating power of sin has been broken but sin can still tempt us sin can still afflict us because it indwells our bodies our bodies which have not yet been redeemed. But here's the good news. Its power to utterly dominate your life has been irrevocably shattered. You've died to the life that sin dominated. And the life you now live has been generated by the same power of God that raised Christ from the dead. The power that raised him has raised you. Again, Ephesians two four, you have been you were made alive with Christ. With In Ephesians one nineteen and twenty, Paul, Paul is praying. He's praying that that we would know something about the power of God. And he specifically talks about the surpassing greatness of God's power toward us who believe. And then he says that power, that power that is, that is acting towards you, that is, that, 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 that is uh, being activated and exercised towards us, it, it is in accordance, uh, uh, chapter 1, 19 and 20, it is in accordance with the working of the strength of his might with which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand. In the heavenly places. The power of the resurrection is the same power that makes us a new creation and then that further empowers the good works that we do as saved people. And if you've ever wondered what the relationship is between being saved and good works, nobody does good works to be saved. You do good works because you have been saved. And the power that raised you from the dead in Christ empowers, energizes, fuels those good works. Resurrection power doesn't remove the struggle of sin yet. It will one day, but if I start talking about that, I'm going to be bleeding into the last point. Resurrection power doesn't remove the struggle of sin yet, but right now what it does do is it makes the battle and it makes the struggle winnable. In Romans 7, Paul describes himself at being at war. Who is he at war with? With himself. There's, there's a war going on within him between the old man which, which is the sinful flesh and the new man, which is his mind and his, and his new heart. Verse 19, I, th- I think, encapsulates this struggle. The good I want to do, I don't do. And, I've, and I practice, I do the very evil that I don't want to do. We, this is where we live, folks. Folks. the the resurrection power that made Paul a a new creation gave him that new law that wars against the law of his body. He was given a new law, a new set of principles and values, and he was given a commitment that is all anchored in Christ Jesus, and it is... That very reason. And it is only that very reason that he can even stand in the struggle and not be overwhelmed. Maybe you have have seen this in someone. Maybe you've seen this in yourself. You don't know how or why you're able to withstand, but you do. This is a resource that the believer has. This is a resource that the unbeliever does not. Do not mistake this for self-help. Do not mistake this for looking deep down inside yourself and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and finding the will and finding the nerve to change. The natural man cannot mortify his flesh. Sanctification... Is the new man who is made alive with Christ, growing, maturing, becoming strengthened, becoming more present to the believer, and becoming more evident to the rest of those who are watching. And as the believer sojourns that Romans 7 battlefield throughout his life. resurrection power strengthens him. Strengthens him to change over time and sometimes varying but increasing degrees of growth and holiness when those without this power give up and give in their sin and they return to whatever lives they were living before they made a profession of being a Christian in the first place. Resurrection power causes you to persevere in the faith when others fall away. Maybe you could call this preserving or preservation power. Remember, Ephesians 1 18 and 19. The power that works towards us is in accordance to the power that he raised up Christ with. Don't think this is some second grade power or third grade or some tertiary kind of power. This is the same power that God raised up Christ with. That is, he is outworking towards you who believe. The same power. This power causes you to persevere. it's an underlying power that is ever urging and compelling and sometimes getting out and pushing you to go on and to pursue Christ no matter what obstacle gets in your way, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what cost you might have to pay. As I said, there are times where you don't know how you are persevering. You don't know how you can go on another day, but in Christ you do. You you just do. Many professing Christians stop professing and they fall away. But Scripture says that the genuine believer has been granted eternal life through the resurrection power that God works in him. And and let me remind you, eternal life does not fail. It, It If it does fail, if it ceases to be eternal, then it wasn't eternal life in the first place. I I mentioned earlier that you could call this preservation power. You could also call it uh, 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 perfecting or completing power. And I'm reminded of Philippians 2.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to perfect or complete it. Power that he raised you with he is going to complete you with and until that time he is, he is sustaining you he is persevering you resurrection power causes you to march on and persevere it causes you to continue to love Christ it causes you to grow in him despite your flesh screaming at you at times to do otherwise. Resurrection power makes Christ and his word sweeter to you over time, even though we fall short, even though we stumble along the way. Resurrection power raises us back up and sets us on our feet so that we can continue walking the Christian walk. Now, there's one more thing that resurrection, that the resurrection does to assure us of, and that is our glorification. What is glorification? Glorification is the last step in God's plan of salvation for us. And it, it involves not only the resurrection of our actual bodies, which at that time will be reunited with our spirits. Scripture tells us that when we die, we go to be with the Lord. And there's a lot of speculation about what goes on with the body and everything. In glorification, our body, your body, your actual body, will be reunited with your spirit. But there's going to be a difference in your body. Your body will be perfected. And it will no longer have the stain and the taint of indwelling sin. And in some degree, in some capacity, it's going to resemble the glory of the risen Christ Himself. First John three two says that when we see him, we will be like him. And first Corinthians fifteen talks about this resurrection body. It's going to be incorruptible, it's going to be immortal. It's going to be forever beyond the reach of death, disease, decay, deficiency, disability. And like I said, we can make a lot of speculation about what that body is going to be like exactly. But what I want to show you is that the resurrection of Jesus assures you and me that glorification is coming for us. Romans eight twenty nine. This is where Paul has his, what, what some theologians call the golden chain of redemption. And it, it is a logical argument that you have to follow through with. He says, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, "...he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified." And that is the scope of God's plan of salvation from beginning to end. And we look at that last link in the chain. There is an eternal end to which we are all moving, and that end involves your glorification." And I want you to watch and see how Paul ties the intentions of God with the resurrection in this passage. If you look at verse 31, he's, he, he's, ju- he's just said that God glorified them. He's written this as if it's past tense, even though it's still future. It is so certain he can, he can speak of it as, as if it's already happened. And then he goes on to say, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? he who did not spare his own son but delivered him o- over for us all how will he not also with him freely give us all things who will bring a charge against god's elect god is the one who justified and and, and watch this this is where this is where all ties into the resurrection verse 34 who is the one who condemns christ jesus is he who died yes rather who was raised and having been raised because he was raised who is at the right hand of god who also intercedes for us he is because he was raised he is at the right hand of god and he is present tense right now ongoing action interceding He is advocating, he is representing us. Paul has given this marvelous view of salvation from beginning to end, from 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 foreknowledge to justification to glorification. He says, How do we know this is all going to happen? It is because of god raised christ from the dead that my friend is the guarantee of your glorification because you have none other than the risen christ who is now advocating on your behalf mark this from the high from the place of highest authority in the cosmos I don't know what is beyond the cosmos, otherwise I would include that in my qualifier. It it is the highest place of authority, authority, period, paragraph. And from there, from from the right hand of the throne of the Creator, He Himself is watching over you, and He is superintending your path, and your path, and your path in your path, in your path, and so on, all along this golden chain of redemption, guaranteeing that each one of you who belong to Him reach your glorious end. And if anything, if anyone, if any power rises up as an obstacle, as a hindrance to challenge you, to thwart your path, to put, a, to put a stick in your way, or to, to trip you up, Christ Himself intercedes and He takes it as His personal responsibility to see that you don't get tripped up and that you don't get hindered and that you do reach your destination. Paul Paul makes this pretty exhaustive list of things that will they may rise up they may give they may put a real bleak spot on your calendar but they are not going to stop you from getting to your god ordained and christ superintended goal of glory what are those things that paul says are not going to stop you tribulation Distress, and you can see these at the end of, of Romans eight: persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Th- these are all the kind of things that stop me, uh, movements of men. Right? These are the things that 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 stop, that put a stop and an end to human enterprises, and that in our flesh we might think could thwart God's plan for us. Paul says, no. And death's not going to stop God's plan. Life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, or things to come, or powers, or height, or depth, or any other created thing are going to be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ and His plan for you. And the reason why none of those things are going to, pose a serious threat is because the resurrected Christ is watching over you and interceding you you and superintending your sojourning. The resurrection assures you of your glorification. And the only thing that I can imagine that would make this any better would be if I knew that everyone in this room and that everyone who heard the gospel believed it and received these incredible realities as their very own. And I, and I, I give that caveat because I don't make that assumption because I don't know some of you very well, and some of you I don't know at all. Some of you I just met for the first time today. And I would be a failure as a minister. I would be a negligent minister if I didn't directly appeal that if you aren't a Christian, if you have not yet bowed the knee of your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you do so now. I, I would get down on my knees and I would plead with you to come to Christ. To come to Christ for salvation. Bow the knee and receive Him as Savior and Lord have your sins forgiven let let him take them from you so that you don't have to give an accounting for them yourself in the day of judgment again I would plead with you come to Christ If, if, if indeed you are not a believer his resurrection applies to you even now Romans ten nine. if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that what God raised him from the dead you will be saved not might not probably you will be saved Let me just echo verse 13 of the same chapter. Whoever, whoever, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the power of God and His gospel made proven to us by the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the glories, the beautiful, wondrous glories of the resurrection of Jesus Thank you for the assurances that his resurrection grants us, that it that it proves everything he said. Most importantly, it proves that he was and is who he said he is. Thank you for the assurance of our justification that in that in your mind, in your in your in your ledger book that we are declared in good standing, that we are declared acceptable and good. Thank you for the newness of life in which we walk and the and the power that you supply so that we can walk that walk. Thank you for the assurance for the assurance of future glory to come. How often in our flesh we we can grow to doubt and become uncertain of our future we thank you for the salvation that you have granted us in your son and I pray that any here who don't yet know Christ might come to believe on his name and to receive these precious and powerful gifts for themselves Lord please work in their hearts and draw them to the risen Christ. Amen.